The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's good, Podcastville? Thank you for 15 incredible seasons. Big shout out to Sound Reaper Graphics and Blue Canary Auto for five years of consistent support of the Bystander Podcast. I am your host, Tiny Tim, coming to you from beautiful Bainbridge Island, Washington, at some generic time in your day. I'm glad you're here. Please be a friend and tell a friend you heard it on The Bystander and follow us on social media. Now let's get the party started with some intro music from the incredible Leroy Bell. What's good, Podcastville? Thank you for joining me on the Bystander Podcast. Please be a friend and support us on Patreon.com. Today, my guests are Aaron Phillips and Ashley Matthews. How are you, ladies? I'm great. How are you, Tim? Really well. I don't see both of you enough. Ashley, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. There's a little sunshine out, so I can't complain. Yes, it's nice to see the sun. Yes. Uh, I hope it warms up a bit because I want to start my rehaul of my garden today um, not next that. week it's gonna be rainy and beautiful yeah, yeah. it's uh, been a tough little spring so far i think but uh you guys garden at all i am not i do not have a green thumb at all just, just a green <laughs> shirt <laughs> yeah just a green shirt today i started adopting plants during the pandemic so if you come to our home <laughs> there's so many indoor plants right now so i would say i'm an indoor gardener now um yeah, not so much outdoor. Yeah. Did you guys start anything besides adop- adopting plants during the plants during the pandemic? Because uh, a lot of people, there was a crush on adopting dogs. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of pregnancy and divorce. Um, anything exciting happened to either one of you during the pandemic? Yeah, uh, we got a dog ourselves, which was a huge adjustment, but it's been a lot of medicine for us, I think. It's just great to have a sweet little animal around. And Do you call her Pandy? Call her Iris. <laughs> Iris. Oh. I see. Yes. Ooh. Uh, you don't want to get me started talking about this, but I started knitting during the pandemic. Yes. Yes. yes you did. Which has changed my life. So definitely uh, found a little bit of creativity and some relactation and some mental exercise all at once. So it you was really some, life changing. Uh, 
community with lamb and kids. I did. As well. And I found like a real community in knitting nationally and internationally. And here it's become like a sort of hub for our knit celebrities, I call them. They all stop through Bain Bridge Island now and come see us. There's a huge amount of people that do mm-hmm. knit on this island and do the quilts and yeah. stuff like that. It shocked me. It's crazy. And I think that Church Mouse had, you know, it was such an institution on the island and they closed during the pandemic. They closed mm-hmm. their brick and mortar shop during the pandemic. And so there was sort of a whole and now the island has two um, brick-and-mortar uh, yarn shops, and then Church Mouse is still open online. So it's a really cool community. Yeah, I can't yeah. believe there's that many people in such a small community. That Yeah, I mean, just look at where up. we are. And we're here in the, the barn and uh, the Bainbridge Island Artist Resource Network, I believe. And uh, in here, there's a fiber art studio where you can dye and, and knit. And just seeing that community, I was like, whoa, it's a whole yeah, – yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's very communal right yep. here in the space, and I'm thankful that I've been here for five years renting space. Out oh, here. yeah. Community with a capital C. Yeah. So Aaron Phillips is um, a longtime promoter of politics here on the island, um, famously helped Tara Simmons with her election process, and now she has been so kind to give her services to Ashley Matthews. Tell me why you decided to dip your toe back in the <laughs> pool of... What do you got for a better word, word than uh, what I was thinking? Uh, <laughs> community politics. Um, yeah, I thought I had hung my hat up as far as uh, campaign management goes. Um, but when Ashley approached me, it was something I really couldn't uh, resist. I just think she's exactly what this community needs. And so, yeah, I couldn't say no. Yes. What made you pick her up? Uh she, I came in contact with her. Well, initially, when Race Equity Advisory Committee and Task Force was getting started up, yeah, that's when network. I first, yeah, the network, that's when Aaron's name first came on the radar for me. And then just seeing her successful work with Tara and Joe Dietz and her good reputation, it was just like, and she's a woman. It was just like, you know what? We're going to do this and be a dynamic duo. Look at you smiling. <laughs> High praise. I like it. Yeah. Really I think uh, that's where I met you is the starting of the Race Equity Network, mm-hmm. and uh, it's been thriving, and there's been a lot of change on this island since then, and for the betterment. I mean, you were the first sort of person out that even put like a public post out there about the task force, so you've been there from the beginning. Right on, girlfriend. Yep. <laughs> so, Ashley, for the people that don't know you, um, I... I'm privy to knowing both of you pretty well. Um, tell people a little bit about your background and uh, what what brought you to this island. Sure. Uh, so I uh, was born in Brooklyn, New York, um, in the late 70s to I don't know who, um, and was luckily adopted, um, was in foster, you know, in foster care, and then was adopted by a lovely family. Um, who then moved to upstate New York, um, where I grew up most of my life. And then uh, after college, I moved back to the city and worked a lot um, and somehow met this great guy who told me he lived in a place called Bainbridge Island, Washington, which I had never heard of, never considered visiting. It's like, you know what? That sounds great. Um, and then after quite a while, we uh, ended up moving here. And we got married and we had a little 
deal that um, we would only be here for five years and then we would move back to New York City. And that was 15 years ago. Mm. And here I am. So who broke the deal? You or Scott? I did. <laughs> I fell in love with this place. It's it's a lovable place. It for is. Sure. Yeah. Um, what made you decide to take on another task and run for council? And kudos on you for um, coming out early and yeah. saying, yes, absolutely. I'm the one. Well, I've known it, I think, since the first time I tried. I think it was in 2019. And I'd say I knew it from well before then. I just mm-hmm. didn't know how to go about doing it. I think there are some barriers which have we've really lessened them now. Um, yeah, which is that was a bit of a debacle. Yeah, when that first happened. And if because if you don't know, you don't know, and you really have to be on the inside, unfortunately, to know how the sausage is made here. Um, I didn't know. I didn't have a campaign manager. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was trying to do it all on my own just because I wanted to help. Um, and it was pre 2020. I think there were a lot of different things happening. So for me, um, the day that I dropped out of the campaign was the League of Women Voters uh, debate. And mm. basically, now I'll be pretty open and honest about it was I had the biggest anxiety attack. It's things that happen to many of us and we don't know how to talk about. Um, and then something pretty coincidental had happened that day and the day before. Um, he was a teen. I think his name was Michael Brown. I get there been too many deaths or murders, so I forget, but his name was Michael Brown. And that the day before the police had decided that they were the, they said they weren't going to prosecute the police. And then the day I dropped out, Trump had been calling the four, I think it was whatever the four, the squad of four was telling them to go back to Africa. And I sort of had a little breakdown. I was like, why am I doing this? My friends don't even know I'm running. I have no support. I'm done. You know, I'm done. I give up. And it was one of those moments where I'm glad I had it because now I'm really ready. Yeah. You don't fear anything. Any no, longer. no. And I've had enough experience on planning commission to know it's not all, you know, rainbows and butterflies. There are lots what? of challenges. <laughs> some, you know, we get really some colorful emails, but you know, when it comes down to it, I think it's just because this community cares. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more about your experience on the planning Commission. You're still on it right now. I am. I'm the chair now. Um, I was the vice chair last term. And we really get to deal with some great issues uh, that council deals with right now. Right now, we're dealing with the Winslow Subaria plan. The comprehensive plan update is looming upon us. So that's coming soon. All things that this whole community should be involved in. Um, We were pretty integral in the discussions on Wintergreen and uh, Bethany Lutheran um, and have been really, I think, working to try to figure out um, how best this community can solve the affordable housing questions, um, our affordability questions, affordable housing. Definitely, if you saw the survey that came out recently, we have a huge senior population that we're going to have to really start making sure are part of the conversation as well. Um, Yeah, because you can't price those people out. No. Because they become the victims of affordable housing as well, and they're in retirement stage. Exactly. So think about trying to pay your property taxes if you're, you know, in retirement stage and I can barely pay them now. Exactly. <laughs> so my parents just moved here and they're almost 80. And so it's given me a whole new, I'm like, okay, wow, that read at the senior center is basically rock star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are good. <laughs> yeah. uh, when it comes down to uh, Winslow and the comprehensive plan, 
how do you view um, the people's ability to affect that? Because it seems like city council and planning department are making a lot of talks and stuff, but I don't really feel like I can come to the table and have a comprehensive idea of Mm -hmm. what direction it's going and how I can influence my needs. Yeah. How, how do you see it right now? That's what we're trying to to fix. And what's really good about um, the way that this Winslow Siberia plan update is going to go is that I think they're answering just that question. So in the few months that I've been able to participate in it, they have um, an agency. I forget. I think it's called the Vita agency whose sole purpose was to deal in reaching usually underrepresented communities here on the island and getting them involved in this process. So I spent a couple Zooms and sessions in breakout rooms with people who have never been in rooms before. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard about the Winslow Siberia plan update in my erase meetings. We brought it up in the NAACP meetings, um, which are groups that I know never had any input before. And I know going forward, there is going to be a huge outreach. So I would say stay tuned. Definitely keep showing up. Um, We are figuring out more and more ways to make sure that we hear everyone's voice because they are important. I know it says Winslow sub area plan, but Winslow is really the heartbeat and like the core of our island for everyone. And so this really needs to be a Bainbridge Island plan. Mm -hmm. Because it's hard right now, especially – with my kid having after school sports and such for me to make it to a city council meeting and get three minutes in front of the diocese, I can read and and rewatch the council meetings online, but there's a, there's a huge difference of passion when you're actually there. Mm -hmm. Right. Like the last thing I'm thinking about is go back and watch city council meeting. Yeah. I get the updates about the agenda and the Kobe connects, which is I'm, I'm thankful that that is back and being published because that's a plethora of information. But much like a print ad, having conversations with mm-hmm. people like you two right now, it goes a lot further to understand what's going on. Now, do you think the comprehensive plan should come before or after the Winslow area? Or do I they think they mesh? should be at the same time. I mean, there's no, in my opinion, this is just my opinion. Yes. <laughs> um I think that they should happen simultaneously. They're pretty integral and really important work. And I think that they're putting together either a subcommittee or some sort of group to shepherd both through at the same time, which makes they sense. Get on these subcommittees that they pay out for um, <laughs> having a exploratory, whatever, you know, <laughs> let me walk down there and check it out and see, but definitely you bring up, the issue of accessibility, which is something we talk about in equity. We talk about in basically everything. It's how do we get people able to uh, affect change and be involved in our government? So, for instance, meetings used to be if meetings are earlier. Well, how does that and with planning commission? We spoke about, oh, maybe moving our meetings to 530 mm-hmm. if that would work because because staff has to stay late. And so, but then we realized, you know what, there are people who are just rushing to get off the boat at five 30 or rushing to get home and get kiddos fed and get kiddos from sports um, who want to be involved. So that would be maybe excluding them from the process. Um, but I would love to hear any ideas that anyone else has, because um, definitely I would say that public participation is key to what we're doing. 
Well, you could do like uh, former Mayor Cole Medina did and just bring a can of beans and a spoon and <laughs> have your dinner <laughs> there at the meetings. <laughs> oh my God. That was crazy. I love it. I um, love it. We had some people in here that railed against the affordable housing at Bethany Lutheran. Um, as a planning commissioner, how does certain zoned areas get changed to fit an idea? Like Bethany Lutheran was not zoned for it, that many houses, um, I believe. And it was across the street from where we had said that this has been earmarked for, for housing and this is rural mm -hmm. or, or, and, uh, they changed the laws slightly, didn't they? No. Yeah. The zoning they, law. Well, oh, that's what I'm talking about. They, so what they, I think how it ended up happening was that it was so close to that zone, right. which was literally like on the corner. Um, I think the analogy is, if I had a fire hydrant on one side of the street and your house was catching on fire across the street, but you're not zoned to use that water, would I deny you that water? You would not. So I think that's kind of similar when it comes to affordable housing in this particular zone. Um, but with that said, there is a lot of areas zone for growth. Mm -hmm. And why go out into areas where it's not zoned and start building affordable housing, especially when it's not particularly transit friendly and such. Bethany, well, Lutheran Bethany was, little, was transit friendly, a little special because yeah. they, they did have the bus they have stop the, the transit the bus stop right there. It was but it's not as walkable, I guess. You know, to the well. To, I mean, it's school is right there. You just walk up the hill and you're at school. To me, it seemed pretty like a really good location. I think that um, in terms of growth, there are a lot of questions that we're going to have to ask and answer each other in a collaborative way. I think that um, right now the Growth Management Act, the GMA, says that Winslow is or we are supposed to accept, I think it's like 900 or so. It could be more. I think mm -hmm. it was like 900 something in the next 10 years in the next 10 years. And I mean, I'm sure we've played Tetris or blocks. If you think about where you're going to put that in Winslow, it starts to get a little bit. I don't know if it all fits. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have to probably come up with solutions in rural areas that are not building, but maybe redeveloping or repurposing or reusing or revisiting the ADU issue. Mm -hmm. um, I, for one, um, my personal story, I was in Brooklyn, New York on concrete, and that's how I was raised um, until we moved upstate New York to a, like very large tree farm. And I credit the green and the trees and the water for basically growing this young traumatized kid into the woman that I am today. And I don't think I would be who I was today had someone said, hey, your parents can't afford for you to live anywhere else. So you need to live here. Um, where I'd heard some had suggested during Bethany, just build housing on, you know, the Safeway lot. Um, I don't think the little... I don't think it would have been this. I would have had the same outcome. And so that's what I tend to think. I tend to go back to my lived experience when I think of those questions. Now, that being said, many of the opponents of that, you know, it goes back to your face to face meeting mm -hmm. ideas because one of, I won't use last names because I'm sure 
no, you know, I haven't asked folks if they want to have their name in lights, but there was a gentleman you had on named Kent mm-hmm. and he was very against it. I thought, and I thought I had, I had never met, you know, I'd never spoken to him really at length. So I didn't know. And I sat down with him the other day and I came it away a fan and really interested in what he has to say going forward. And so I think a lot of what I'm trying to bring to this campaign is like bridge building and just to get different people to like, as cheesy as it sounds, to share a meal, have mm-hmm. a cup of coffee and stop this us versus them development versus equity or, um, you know, you can have both. We can have we're going to need both for us all to survive. And I believe Washington State is changing the laws to allow us not to have just single family housing and have duplexes and triplexes yes. and stuff like that. Because I mean, we toss around ADU um, additional dwelling unit, mm-hmm. but there's there's pros and cons to that as well. Yeah. You know, and uh, size. Um, but do you see us adopting an environment where there's duplexes on the island? I, I can only think that we have like less than a handful on this island. You know, I, we probably, if in our Winslow core, I bet at some point we will. Um, Unfortunately, this is something that had to come from the state and be, I don't know about unfortunately, because I go back and forth with this. I really don't like the state telling a city or or us what to do, but in this case, um, it's a housing crisis everywhere. And so I understand where it's coming from and hopefully uh, we can rise to the occasion and show that we planned and have room for the growth that might not necessarily occur because we plan for it and come up with better alternatives such as redevelopment and things like that. Gotcha. So tell me some of the things that you're um, wanting to put together to launch your format and what you want to see done as running for council. Sure. Uh well, really, I'm just trying, working right now to walk the walk and build that bridge. So I, my planning commission experience showed me that a lot of what we were trying to work for um, with affordable housing and with some of, you know, the Bethany's or the Wintergreens that we talked about, when equity came up, I think that uh, those who really care about our environment and our um worried about all of our futures, saw equity as a threat to that. And so these are people who now, after speaking to Kent, I know that he believes in social equity, economic equity, and racial and other, he believes in it, but they saw it as like this equity thing might be the thing that makes development come and, and, you know, our door is going to have to be open to tons and tons of people coming to build homes. And this is the reason. And so I think that's why there were, you know, we saw like letters to the editor and such about how equity was bad. And so it created this dynamic of like us versus them and a battle that I don't think needed to exist because I think that, that's America right each now. Other. Look at Democrats yeah. and Republicans. I yeah, mean, it is a straight up draw the line straight down the middle. You're either with us or against yeah. us. And if you're against us, we're going after we're you. We're going after you. But it's a lot harder when you get to know people and you respect them mm-hmm. in person as, as a human being. 
Yeah, it's a lot we, harder. We do have that culture war going on, and which I I feel like it's an additional civil war on, on a different mm-hmm. basis here in America. Yeah, and uh, to say that Bainbridge Island would be any different than any other city in America right now, you know, it's not always looked through an equity lens at all. Yeah, yes, Aaron. <clears throat> I definitely have seen. Um, I guess with my campaign uh, experience, what we noticed, um, because we in the 23rd do have a somewhat purple district, um, is that there everyone cares about the kitchen table issues. I want my kids to be safe. I want to have housing. I want to have health insurance. So I think it's a it's a myth that's been created that. Um, we are all wanting such different things. Uh, that's not true at all. And I think it's just um, a messaging that's been created as a marketing ploy for, you know, the different, um, you know, Republicans and Democrats um, to really draw lines and say, oh, you know, these people are really extreme. They want 6,000 houses, you know, in on a farm, uh, you know, using kind of, you know, wildly progressive type terms. Um, and what we find with normal people is they really want similar things at the end of the day. Um, and all of that us versus them is, is truly, um, constructed, uh, versus, you know, what people at the end of the day really need and want for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what Ashley is speaking to, which is there's, there are a lot more things in common than different. Um, and when people really try to emphasize the difference, it creates a total construct that's not actually uh, yeah, the realistic. Me- the messaging and the verbiage mm-hmm. is horrible. I think w- most people are, are straight down the line, kind of centrist, like we all believe in the same things, want potable water and you know a healthy environment and stuff like that. But then we, maybe we veer on abortion or gun rights. We also veer a little bit this way or that way, just slightly mm-hmm. to the center on our point sometimes. But the messaging is extreme right, extreme left, um, just negative verbiage and messaging by both parties all the time. Yes. I, I can be one thing and then step out of line on a little something else because it has a heartfelt meaning yes. to me. Yeah, we're not a monolith. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, – Again, that's really why I couldn't resist working on this campaign because Ashley is a unicorn in that um, right in that she really does see things for what it is, and and that is um, common ground. Yeah, exactly. I think that we are definitely – there are so many more things that uh, I think connect us than divide us. And so finding those things I think that's going to be – the sweet spot for us all. How do you feel about um, the electrification? Electrification is that the correct word? Of the ferry? Uh, or no. Yeah, and and cars and such. I was reading something the other day, and there's like 20 different types of of energy. But mm-hmm. we're, but I also am very familiar with the cobalt mining in the Congo and and the Children. devastation that it does. And are we just swap, swapping out one evil for another and then making this evil uh, mandatory because it's beneficial to somebody in government? You know, we could have hydropower, we could have solar power, we could have wind power, we all these different nuclear, propane, whatever. What do you think is the tipping point that 
makes the island and our community want to go so electric? Well, we're going to have to be prepared for it. It's interesting. My friends with electric vehicles, I get to see a lot of them over at the marketplace because the island only has a couple charging stations. Mm -hmm. And out of the charging stations we have, there are, I think, just a handful that are the superchargers. And so, like, there are a couple, I I won't say where they're hidden, but there are some down on the south end. So you'll see, you know, Rivians and such coming to park to use them. And it takes, it can take up to eight hours, but if you do a supercharge, it's two. You have to sit in the same spot. So we still have some limitations to reality with it here. Um, there are apps that will have maps of where you can go for your electric car to get charged. Say if you're doing a cross-country trip, you have a lot of gaps. Um, yeah. So I think we are going to have to come together and really come up with a plan to make it realistic and happen because right now we're not there yet. Yeah. Cause our transportation system, the buses and the ferry are, are going that route. Yeah. And uh, looking back when it first started, I thought, Oh, great. And then the more I learn about cobalt, the more I'm like, Oh, let's pump the brakes here. You know, this isn't all that great. Yeah. And I would just, I would probably ask one of my environmental experts that question. I'm definitely trying to, learn all the answers, but that I don't, I don't quite know the exact answer of what would be the best for the environment. And so that's what I'm talking about building the bridge too, is I know there are folks in the, in this community who would have a great answer to that question. Combine uh, climate politics with equity. So someone commented at the council meeting the other night, I'm sure you know, the gentleman, he protests often and his passion has really got me thinking the, the if there is something that he is that passionate about sometimes i get that parallel in my head to when those were mar- marching with martin luther king and how passionate my relatives who did my mom my grandma who did how passionate they were so if he is that passionate about this there has to be a reason mm-hmm. and he said the other night that environmental destruction is violence yeah, and the, the environment can't speak for itself. Right. And also, if you think in terms of equity, often those with the least have been the most affected by yes. and marginalized by being in bad environments. Think Flint and water or even think high school road and, you know, the power lines that go up high school road and where, you know, compared to we have very little on the south end that looks like, you know, yeah. I don't know if I made my point, but I, th- I mean, I can bring up something that Ashley and I talked about, which is um, how it's totally in sync. You know, if we think about how many people are driving to the island to work, um, you know, that's in the thousands. And we know for a fact that the biggest contributor to climate change is transportation. So we can make an argument for let's have housing. So that we don't have this um, huge draw on um, our environment. Um, and I think that's sometimes overlooked. Because this should be a walkable island. Yes. Yeah. And also, um, you know, I think that we can all sort of agree. And, and I, I hear the community saying that we want a community that um, where our teachers can live. We want a community where our police officers can can live but then there's sort of a what next how to do it and maybe not the argument where you know to me it's pretty 
pretty obvious that if you care about the environment, you want to reduce carbon emissions um, through, you know, less driving. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a, a great example of climate and equity working hand in hand. Well, they should have. No, <laughs> this is a joke, but they're building the new police station in an old hospital slash old uh, apartment complex, right? So they should have just left the apartments above and let the police stay at the police station in apartments. <laughs> I keep thinking of the Climate Pledge Arena, and I was like, we should have named it Climate Equity Police Station. <laughs> well, that's, it's still up for naming, right? No, it's closed. And I read the, the I think it's like 46 names. They have them up now that they're choosing between. Yeah, A lot of them are Kurt, are Kurt Ingett. Like a good yes, what I, chunk for officer, and I, then I pushed. There the I think that, that would be, passed yeah. away, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, he was the canine specialist yes, and a good dude. Yeah, so and you know, if you have a puppy. It's no brainer, right? <laughs> for sure. But exactly. yeah, going back to equity and climate, uh, I think that we definitely have to think of them in terms of inter their interconnection from now on. Do you think that's something that? you can handle the lead on? Yes, I'm trying. I'm trying to build the bridge. I've been meeting with a lot of people so far um, who I think are going to be integral in, in getting this started. Right on, right on. You guys ain't got anything else to tell about the campaign before we get out of here? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm really proud that we're kind of out of the gate and, and saying uh, I am, you know, I'm Ashley's running. Um, there's no hesitation as far who else is running. Um, we just know that um, this is what we need um, in this really critical time of, you know, comprehensive plan um, in Winslow. So, um, you know, we know because that's like sort of at the forefront right now. Ashley is it's the chair yeah. of the planning commission. <laughs> so I want someone um, who understands those issues to be able to slide over um, and be on council and use her incredible knowledge that most people can't say they have um, to impact this whole process. You know, I think one thing that I wanted to mention that we haven't talked about is um, mental health, behavioral health. And um, our kids mm -hmm. and a lot of campaigns don't talk about kids. That's not their top three issues. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, a lot of people say, well, that's not part of the jurisdiction of a city council. Well, that's not true. City council members are community leaders and our kids are going to become voters. Our kids are going to become teachers and all of those things. So we shouldn't ignore um, and say, you know, Quite frankly, that local government, ha you know, doesn't have any role in shaping and creating opportunity. Um, we may not have RCWs that relate mm -hmm. to kids, but we definitely have um, a responsibility to bring the generations to come into the into the conversation. And I think that's another place that you find equity issues. Yes. What do I want for my kids? Um, so connection. I. Yeah, because all of us. Well, we're working on the climate, so we'd leave a, a better place for our children yeah. to grow up in. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. And if you talk to many of the parents here, especially with the pandemic, um, mental health came to the forefront. A lot of our kiddos were struggling. They are really cool and open with talking about it. Um, in the schools, like even if you go to like little kids, second to fourth grade, talk about their therapy, talk about, oh, I went to counseling. I'm on antidepressants. I'm a, it, they are talking about it and we're not. 
Yeah. And I think that um, we also need to listen a lot more to them. Just be quiet and just listen because they are going to tell us what we need to do. And we need to, I think Bainbridge Youth Services came out with a letter, an open letter to the community maybe a month ago that our kids are watching. They see how we treat each other on Bainbridge Islanders or how we talk to each other in council or public comment. They see that. And they see that behavior and they want us to do better. And so that was another part of my campaign was like, I really believe in this community. I think it is such a great place to live. But I do think that we can model some better behavior and treat each other a lot better and see where that takes us. Very well said. Elect AshleyMatthews.com for more information and please support her campaign. Aaron, great to see you. Great to see you, always. Uh, Thanks for coming in. I appreciate you saying that. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Um, Let's go have some lunch. Yeah, sounds like a plan. (laughs) All right, you've been listening to The Bystander. Be kind.